But the question people are asking themselves as they near those traditional retirement years, what can I do next? What should I do next? And what people are doing is they may say goodbye to their colleagues for the last time. Okay, I've had enough of them. I've been around these people. I know what's going on. I'm not gonna to be told anymore to do 50 hours of work for 40 hours pay. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we're talking to Chris Farrell, who is the author of the very recently published Purpose and a Paycheck, Finding Meaning, Money, and Happiness in the Second Half of Life. He's also a journalist on public radio and several other media outlets. Welcome, Chris. Well, thank you for having me. There, You know, this book is amazing. And what I love about it is that it's just a radical change in the way we approach retirement. Um, there's so many aspects to it. Um, maybe we can start with the financial, if that's okay with you. Sure. I know people are really worried. We keep uh, hearing that we haven't saved enough money for retirement. Um, I think people are really afraid that they're going to be penniless as uh, in their older years. And I know, I know that that thought has crossed my mind. Um, could you talk about this whole, this whole, uh, realm? And, and I know in the book you talk about, it used to be what's, what's your number. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? Sure. If you think about the, you know, the past couple of decades, it's been the 401k era, right? So all the business magazines, uh, the business cable shows, they're always running stories about, will you have enough? to retire on. And mm -hmm. what that means is you say goodbye to your colleagues for the last time, and then you never work again. So you have to live off your savings. And so the haunting question is, well, will I have enough? Will I run out of money? Mm -hmm. I don't know how long I'm going to live. If I'm only going to live for 10 years, I'm fine. If I'm going to live for <laughs> right. 30, I might have a little bit of a problem here. And there's no easy answer to what is your number unless you're wealthy and then you're in a totally different realm. The question today is different. I say this is important. Don't get me wrong. But the question people are asking themselves as they near those traditional retirement years, what can I do next? What should I do next? And what people are doing is they may say goodbye to their colleagues for the last time. Okay, I've had enough of them. I've been around these people. I know what's going on. I'm not going to be told anymore to do 50 hours of work for 40 hours pay. But mm -hmm. I have all this skill. 
I have all this knowledge and I want to do something that I feel good about, something that I feel I'm making a difference, something where I might be leaving a legacy. But by the way, at the same time, I want to earn an income and earning that income is what changes the personal finance for many people. And there's a number of factors that come together, but basically what it means is that your household finances are healthier if you're able to work longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole different calculation, and it seems to be much more fluid. We used to say 65, that's it, taking retirement, got the gold watch, and now, <laughs> you know, whatever, you're you're going to play tennis or golf or whatever, and you're saying that it's just actually a ne- uh, the next phase where you're figuring things out, how am I going to create something that works for me now? Am I, am I getting that right? Yes, exactly. And just to stick with the personal finances, the most important factor when it comes to thinking about your financial health, long-term financial health, is what working longer allows you to do is delay taking Social Security. Mm. And Social Security for most people, that's the bedrock, right? That's the fundamental annuity that you can't outlive and it adjusts to inflation. So if the annuity, if you take your Social Security at age 70, so that's the, the latest that you file for Social Security, compared to age 62, which is the earliest, that benefit for the typical worker is 75% higher. So that in and of itself makes a huge difference. And then if you have some retirement savings and you're continuing to work, you might be able to add to your retirement savings. Or if you can't add to your retirement savings, maybe you don't touch it. Or if you do touch it, you're taking out less. So your retirement savings may grow. Your retirement savings will be lengthened in terms of being viable. And the other aspect that comes into it is, and there's no other nice way to put this, you essentially have to live off your savings for a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Well, there's another thing that I think that's maybe a little crude. It's really important to stay healthy so you can work and um, add to that savings. Well, it is. And there's also been a change in the research. There's always been this very difficult question about, okay, are the people who are working longer healthier? Or does working longer contribute to their better health? It's a very, you know, for researchers, for academics, for scholars, very difficult to tease that out. Mm -hmm. But more and more where the research is going is working longer can be healthier for many people. And the reason is this. One, work is a community. And like many communities, we gossip. Someone actually cares that you show up. Um, there are people you like, you share coffee with, there are people you dislike. It's a community. And <laughs> that's really important to be as part of a community and have some you know, purpose, some meaning. I'm valued. There's a reason why I'm here. But the other thing is you have to get up in the morning. You have to get dressed. You have to take a shower. You got to get yourself to work. You have to move around. You're moving around. You are physically active by going mm-hmm. to work. And that's the other aspect is you're mentally active. I was talking to a woman, she's absolutely wonderful. I had a, a problem, she Delta Airlines. I had a problem with my uh, my plane ticket and uh, she was solving my problem. She was great, but she started laughing. And I said, she says, well, it's taken me a long time here because every six months, 
they, you know, make some sort of change in our software. We have to learn, you know, some new trick with the software. And the back of my mind is going, see, you're learning something new. Your mind is working. So it's an annoyance. But if you think about what everyone talks about with aging and getting older is you have to keep the mind flexible. You have to be learning new things. You have solving to be solving problems, yeah. solving problems. Mm-hmm. So obviously not every job does this and there can be very bad jobs and there can be miserable jobs. I understand that. I'm not be, trying to paint a Pollyanna picture, but it's not to underestimate the health benefits of continuing to work, particularly if you're doing something that you like, that you enjoy, that you feel is making a difference. That's really interesting. And you know, from where I sit as a psychotherapist, I see people retire. And and I'm sure you know this just as well as anybody. There's oftentimes depression. And, uh, you know, you think that it's going to just be one fun activity after another. (laughs) Uh, But oftentimes, particularly with men, you know, they they're just there's a whole lot of time. And um, it's not it's not unusual for there to be a bit of a tough adjustment. And I think it's just for these reasons that you talk about. It's like, you know, we can't even make fun of the person in the office that everybody, you know, jokes about, or even the negative seems like that, that looks pretty good now. The bad coffee, the, you know, the boss that's forgetful right. or whatever. Yes. There's this one economic study is by a group of economists in Germany. They're, they're, they're wonderful. And they had this line at the paraphrase, because I can't remember exactly, but their line was, even a bad boss is healthier for the experienced worker than sitting on the couch and watching TV. Oh, yeah. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. This is fascinating. So then that's that's definitely an upbeat message, and I'm just so happy to hear it. And uh, that's worth the, the price of the book right there, I think, for many people <laughs> to say, let me take a breath here. It's not all gloom and doom. Talk a little bit about this idea of self-employment and entrepreneurship, if you would. So this has been for me, and I think for a lot of people who are covering the aging of the population, the aging of the workforce, this has been the big surprise. Because if we went back to 2005 and we were having this conversation, I would not have talked about entrepreneurship at all. I would have assumed it's too risky, it's too expensive. You know, you, why you, what, you're going to start a new business when you're in your 60s? And I was completely wrong, totally wrong. And what has happened if you, you know, when you think about entrepreneurship right now, you think about, uh, you know, some somebody wearing a hoodie. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, and they're young and they're and they're running through the, the mountains and of Colorado and connected you know, the whole to their thing. phone. Yeah. Exactly. And they got the watch and the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> they're all synced up. <laughs> exactly. Well, 25 percent, more than 25 percent, more than a quarter of all new businesses are started by the 55 to 64 year old age group. And the highest rates of self-employment are the 60 and 65 plus. Now, I use a broad definition of entrepreneurship because as far as I'm concerned, if you are, you know, out there hustling with customers to make a buck and, you know, you're paying your own social security taxes and, you know, you're, you're filing uh, a 1090 and all those things, you're an entrepreneur. 
right? Mm-hmm. And some of these uh, experienced entrepreneurs, they're out to build a durable enterprise. Right? They're taking, they, 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 they're serial entrepreneurs and they just don't want to stop. It's what they love. But for a lot of people, it's more of a lifestyle. Um, I'm going to become a massage therapist. I'm going to own my own yoga studio, or maybe I'll have a business going to to uh, different businesses in town and and offering their employees a yoga studio, or um, you know I'm going to have a little farm to table business, and but that is entrepreneurship, and it opens up a whole new world. Typically, you're not risking that much money. Your office, it's the home. Mm-hmm. You're using the internet. You're testing your product on the internet. You're doing your accounting on the internet. And so the cost of starting a business is much lower. And here's the final twist. Your age is actually in your favor. Mm. Now, if you try and apply, uh, so I'm 65. So if I try and apply to most big companies through the human resources department for a job that I know I can do well, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it. I'll be screened out fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And we all know that happens, right? And now, can I just can I yeah. just ask a quick question? Which is illegal, correct? Correct. But in the, okay. But, but, but in it the still end, happens. And, okay. and in all fairness to to the companies, they're also screening out most people who apply with their resume online for a job opening. They're using all kinds of algorithms. Um, my okay. advice, if, if any, if anybody who is in their twenties is listening to this. Mm. Don't even waste your time going through one of the big portals and trying to get a job online. You want to meet people. You want to talk to people. Go for informational interviews. Take people out for coffee because that's how you're going to figure out how to get a job. It's the same thing when you're older. You have a network. You have a skill. You have knowledge. You have something to sell. So what I recommend for people to do is um, with their self-employment, they are taking their human capital, they're taking all their knowledge, mm-hmm. and they're turning it into a business. And I think what you're saying, the older you get, the more capital you acquire. Exactly. Yep. So it doesn't cost that much to start a business in today's world. And I'm not trying to minimize the time commitments, and it can be exhausting. And uh, boy, you know, doing your bookkeeping, the invoicing, all those things, you know, it mm-hmm. eats up time. No, no doubt about that. Nonetheless, you're not taking your 401k or your 403b or your IRA and putting that at risk to your business. There's no reason to do that. And by the way, if you're thinking of doing that, don't. Mm-hmm. Because of the penalties? Well, also just because of the risk. You don't want, it's taking you time to accumulate this. You want to really limit how much, how much money you're putting at risk to your business idea. So it's, there's things at our disposal now that make it possible for us to just sit in our home or in a cafe with our laptop and, and be an entrepreneur in ways that we never could have dreamed of. Never dreamed of. And by the way, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, you're starting a business, you know, join one of the co-sharing workspaces. They're not that expensive. Mm-hmm. And you're surrounded by people. And again, this is, I love this. So I go to these co-sharing workspaces. And in certain communities, yes, it is mostly people in their 20s. But in most communities, I'd say half the people are 50 and over. They just, they just, we just don't highlight them enough. We just don't say, look, we have diversity here. We have all genders, we have uh, all ethnicities, and we have all ages. Because 
50 plus have skill, they have experience, they have something to sell. So make yourself part of the community. And that's one of the nice things about the incubators, the accelerators, the mm -hmm. co-sharing workspaces. There's a whole ecology that you can tap into that wants you to succeed. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to a guest who had uh, left a marriage at 60 and really didn't know where to start uh, but she did just this she went to she she was starting to write and people enjoyed her writing and she just did it the people weren't necessarily uh, in her field, they weren't particularly giving her, you know, names, but she felt legitimate. And she could stand tall and say, hey, I'm doing my work. I'm not in my pajamas on my, you know, nothing yeah. wrong with that on my couch, but I'm working here. And it get, gave her a new level of confidence. Um, I think that really helped her continue to put out good writing. Well, one of the things, there's a program at the University of Minnesota. It's a, I believe it's a nine-month program, and it's designed for people 50-plus who probably have been mostly in the private sector or professional, and they want to make a transition to the nonprofit sector. And one of the biggest benefits of the program, according to the people who are there, is they get a business card that says they're a fellow in the Advanced Leadership Institute. Oh, and that wow. gives them a legitimacy and lots of people will talk to them because they say, well, what are you doing? They go, well, I'm a fellow at the Advanced Leadership Institute and they hand over their card and people go, wow, that's kind of cool. And that so is. it gives them an identity when they're yes. making a transition. Yes, that's that sounds very important. Now, I am so curious as a clinical social worker about this whole question of doing well and doing good. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what's your theory about why people want to also do good? Well, when I was That's a big one, right? That's a really big one. But <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what I think what is happening when I was researching my book and um, I'm at the age where a lot of young college graduates will come to me and they'll say, can I meet with you? And all I want to do is talk to you about what is it? What is a career? How do I think about a career? What is this career thing? And yes, there are some people who know they want to be a lawyer. Some people know they want to be a doctor. But many young college graduates, when they graduate, they're trying to figure this out. And these are wonderful conversations. And I always make time for them. And I love them. And what I admire is the idealism and the desire to do good and the desire to make a difference. But at the same time, they want to be independent. They want to be paying their own bills. They want to be paying their own rent. And I imagine you're the exact same way. You, you encourage this. You, you reward this. You try and be helpful. So when it's doing interviews with people who are 60 plus, it is the exact same conversation. It's a conversation about I want to do something where I'm making a difference, where I'm leaving a legacy. And by the way, I have to pay my bills. And the only difference is a sense that time is short. Whereas if you're a 20 something, time is infinity. So I think the desire to do good is a powerful desire throughout a lifetime. But as you get older, you feel like, okay, now's my time. Now's my time to to do this. And by the way, if it's something that I love and, you know, knocking on wood, so long as my health holds up, I can do this for a long period of time. And that's actually going to help out my balance sheet, my household balance sheet. And, you know, it can help out my finances. But this is something I really want to be doing. I think I'm really making a difference here. 
And so I think the desire to do good is throughout a lifetime, but it shifts. Mm -hmm. If you're a parent, I mean, think about, you know, uh, you, you know your kids are three and six, your kids are four, uh, 13 and 16. You, it eats up a lot of your time. You're doing a lot of good, it, but it eats up enormous amounts of time. But now they're launched. Mm-hmm. Now it's time so for you. What do you do with that energy? So that was energy. this was this book, Purpose and a Paycheck, your way of doing good and and doing well? Yes, because I, I think one of the great tragedies in our society, and unfortunately there are many great tragedies in our society, but one of the great tragedies in our society is we seem to have a perspective that we can't afford all these old people and put old people in quotes and you know, they're going to drag down our economy and they're not creative and they're not innovative and they're really not useful. And, and if they're at work and they're still working, well, that's really a sad thing. And anyway, if they're at work, you know, they're stuck in their ways and they don't want to do, um, they want to learn new technologies. They're not innovative, you know, ugh. and it's mm -hmm. also wrong. Just it to is draw wrong. on the system. Yes. And so mm -hmm. what I want people to be able to do, I think throughout a lifetime, you want to embrace purpose in a paycheck. Now, not all of us can, but at least when you are in the last third of life and you have so much to offer. And by the way, if you were creative in your 20s and 30s, you're going to be creative in your 60s and 70s. It's about having the opportunity to be creative. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want. Opportunity to be creative. Mm -hmm. mm. How did, how did writing this book change your life? It ate up a lot of hours. <laughs> well, we did talk off mic about how incredibly comprehensive the research was. But when you were writing it, did you have a sense that this is a legacy that I'm leaving? Yes. I mean, it's a message that you try and get out. And as an author, you hope that it resonates with some people. And of course, in the back of your mind, you have that desire, that hope that it resonates with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, at least within, that it reaches some people and that it, you know, encourages them, helps them think through their stage of life and what they're doing, engages them. So yes, that is the desire. And to participate, there's a a part of a growing national conversation, it's actually an international conversation about rethinking the second half of life. Mm. And so at a minimum, I've tossed my book into that conversation, which I think is the right conversation to be having. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly agree with you. So many people are saying, okay, we're living longer. And, you know, here I am, my kids are launched. Uh, there's a lot of transitions. What what do I do now? Um, and it's an interesting it's interesting to see that happen, even with my clients. You know, sort of up close and personal. Of really asking, I've never had the luxury to ask myself this question because I was working and raising children. Absolutely, and one of the things that I'm uh, in a, struggling with in terms of convince people is there is this notion of well. This is just for the well-educated, the successful white-collar worker. And that is not really true. One of the sections of the book deals with uh, a lot of blue-collar workers, and particularly this one wonderful set of machinists. And they're all in their 70s and 80s. But they're teaching in apprenticeship programs. And they're teaching the younger generation 
how to become machinists. And one of the things that really struck me was all the interviews I did, the American dream is really alive. Because every single one of them said, I want these young people to learn a skill, get a job, and then they can have a family and own their own home. It consistently across the board. And I walked out of there and go, this is really cool. And so lots of people have something to offer. They have a skill, they have knowledge, they can pass it on. And so we should be as diverse and as inclusive as we can be in our thinking about the possibilities of what an older generation can offer to our society. And much of it is in economics. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's such a different way to come at, you know, what's historically been this idea of just sort of fizzling out and getting more and more debilitated and feeling less and less important. It's just such a, it's a, it turns the whole thing on its head. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Is that what you've heard when people have read the book or, or, or the galleys that, you know, they feel more optimistic after reading this? Well, I haven't have, don't have that many readers yet, but so far, mm-hmm. yes, that has been the feedback. But in doing the interviews, that was definitely a theme that came out of it. And part of it also that I think is vastly underestimated about the workplace is there's a you know, the workplace is a community, as I mentioned earlier, and it's a ready-made community to some extent. And yes, there are people who are deeply involved with their church or their temple or a local nonprofit organization or a cause, but you know, many people aren't. They do a little bit of that, but the family and and jobs and having friends and all kinds of things have, have taken up their time. And so when they retire, Finding a community is not easy. And one of the advantages of work, particularly this part-time work or flexible work or, um, you know, work that, that you enjoy, you're, it's an easy way to find another community. Mm-hmm. And it may not be right. It probably isn't right, but it is the reality of the world. If someone is paying you even a relatively small sum of money, they have to take you seriously. This has been a theme that has come over and over again. And it's not that people are, I'm not knocking volunteering and people aren't knocking volunteering who have told me this story, but they told stories again and again. They volunteered for something and, you know, somebody didn't show up or, you know, they didn't do very much or things got away. And yet when they do something that gets paid, they're taken seriously right away because someone's forking over some money. And so in this mix, this portfolio of activities that so many of us try to create, one of the reasons why people like getting paid is not only because it helps their finances, but because they're taken seriously. Mm-hmm. That's important for everyone. Exactly. Uh-huh. Anything surprise you through through writing this book, your interviews, your research? Did anything really come out uh, of this that just took you by surprise? Well, I think the entrepreneurship, as I mentioned earlier, really Mm -hmm. did take me by Mm -hmm. surprise. I mean, I've been moving in this direction, but just sort of really thinking it through. And the other thing that I think is exciting is this realization more and more. uh, We tend to think about work in terms of income. And part of it is 
for obvious reasons. We tend to think of work in terms of income and economists who dominate so much of our you know, public policy discussion, they talk about work in terms of income, but it is work as community, work as status, mm -hmm. work as a place where you have an identity. And we all have that desire deep inside us to be useful. We all want to be useful. And what happens mm -hmm. is that in many small ways at work, we can be very useful. And so I think this notion of the workplace as a community is vastly underestimated. A lot, much of our discussion is, boy, uh, and if you look out for over history, the whole notion was work is miserable, leisure is good. That has been, mm -hmm. the, you know, if you look at the models, that's the whole discussion. Work miserable, leisure is good. Mm -hmm. What's happening in modern society is that work and leisure are somewhat blending, not everywhere, but in many places. A lot of experienced workers join the craft economy. They, uh, they have a skill and they make your craft. Now, when you're in the craft economy, the artisan economy, is that work or is that leisure? Mm -hmm. It's both. Yeah. Yeah, I can really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, even doing this podcast, certainly there's an aspect of work, but it's also such a joy and such a, you know, such a place of of meaning for me. I can definitely see that. And what about for you? What's next for you, Chris? You've just put out this book. Um, yeah. I know you're on public radio. Do you have ideas about new projects? Well, or are you just trying to rest <laughs> and <laughs> take a break? Well, I'm going to focus on this project for a while. But one of the things that I have learned is I interview people and I get very excited about what they're doing. And I think, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. But then what I come back to doing is what I'm doing, because I really do love what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. so probably when uh, at some point over the next two years or so, I'll start thinking about another book idea, or I'll think about a podcast series, or I'll think about a video series. And, you know, as long as I can find myself a market, that's what I like doing and mm -hmm. reaching out to people and joining these community conversations. So, so far, I keep coming back to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sort of the tried and true, but what are the different versions of it that'll exactly. add maybe some excitement and some newness and some challenge? Yes, yeah, very much so. A, that sounds great. Um, I really love this this whole these whole ideas we've been talking about, and I've, as you know, interviewed a lot of people that you're familiar with, and I've of course, done a lot of reading on my own, but I have not heard this idea of really focusing on work as the, one of the primary communities. And I think that's really helpful because when I talk to people, they're really, they're really searching. They're saying, well, what could I do, you know? And it's hard to sort of step into a brand new community, even if it's a welcoming place of worship, you know, not a lot of people want to do that. So I love the idea of kind of like using what you have and, and interpreting it more, more widely. Yeah. Oh, good. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. So where can people learn more about your book, Chris, and, and learn more about you and your work? So um, the book is now out, as I said, February 5th. So right now the primary venue is Amazon.com. Okay. And then I have a uh, website, uh, chrisfarrell.net. Uh, 
Okay. And I'm on uh, Minnesota Public Radio and a marketplace at American Public Media. And I write a regular column for PBS Next Avenue, which is a mm -hmm. online magazine by PBS targeted at the 50 plus generation, highly recommended. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I also write about personal finance in the Star Tribune and I stay busy. Yes, you do. Wow, that's great. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today. I think the audience is, is going to maybe breathe a sigh of relief. Some of uh, this this aging is, is much more positive and exciting than I think we were originally led to believe. I think so. I think we need to reframe the way we think about aging. And mm -hmm. I open up with this uh, anecdote by John Kenneth Galbraith, who's the great... Uh, economist. He died at age 97. And he wrote this essay at age 90. And he was rebelling against the still syndrome. That's what he calls it. He says, this is what the, uh, you know, middle-aged and near retirees afflict older people with is the still syndrome. You're still exercising. You're still drinking. You're still writing. And his favorite was, you're still alive. And he really rebelled against the still syndrome. And I think that's what this book is doing, is saying, look, as you get older, you have more and more that you can contribute to society and the economy. And we should work at making that possible. What a lovely message. Thank you for your work, Chris, and I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.